0: the power of their data wasabi another boston-based championship team
1: welcome back to the mlb.com
0: ballpark dimensions
1: podcast i'm your host mike petriello a writer and researcher at mlb.com joined by matt Myers, mlb.com national content editor today is thursday september 28th there's only a handful of days left in the regular season so as you can guess matt and i are going to start by talking about the state of the playoff races and potentially the paths to absolute chaos on the last day which is like my number one rooting interest right now i want three-way ties i want four-way ties i almost understand how those get broken but not entirely and we can talk about that a little bit uh and then we're going to talk about what's going on with the orioles and dodgers pitching staffs lately because i think there's some things you may not know about in very different directions the twins are maybe on to something cool and the road astros are very different from the home astros we will not end with a pair of guys you should know more about today we will end with four guys you know a ton about in terms of four legends who may or may not be at the end of their careers this weekend, which we should talk about. Matt, first, would you agree with me that over the last 24 hours or so, let's say the wild card races have become like slightly clearer just because the Cubs can't remember how to play baseball. So that's helped in one sense. The Astros keep beating everybody. That's helped in the other sense. And there's still some confusion, but I feel like for the first time, I'm like, I have a handle on what I think this is going to look like at the end of the weekend.
2: I'd argue that the Cubs losing has made it more complicated. The Reds losing last night did add some clarity because uh, not they're, they're still alive, but you know every time they lose, it kind of make their their odds go down a bit. So in the NL, it's a little more straightforward because there isn't also a division race tied to a wild card race. So the NL, it's pretty straightforward except for the one real chaos scenario, which I think a lot of people don't realize, which is that the Padres. <laughs> Are still somehow alive, basically in order for the Padres to make the playoffs. They have two paths to the playoffs. And right now the Padres are 78 and 80. So they have four games left. So they can go 4-0 and finish with 82 wins. So they have three two paths to the postseason: a three-way tie for one spot with Chicago and Miami, in which the Padres hold that tiebreaker, and a four-way tie with Chicago, Miami, and Cincinnati at 82 wins. And the Padres also would hold that four-way tiebreaker so there is a chance however remote it is because as as we record right now Chicago and Miami are sitting on 82 wins so they if either of them wins another game Padres are toast no chance can't happen but if Miami and Chicago and the way the Cubs have been playing man it's not of the real possibilities if they both lose out there is a window for the Padres to make the postseason I want to go one by one on
1: these. Tell me the likelihood of these things happening, because four things need to happen. The Padres have to sweep three at the White Sox, obviously. I don't want to say that's easy. Sweep isn't easy, but the White Sox have stopped playing a long time ago, right? It's so like, that that seems doable. That could happen, sure. Uh, the Cubs have to lose all four at Atlanta and at Milwaukee. That Boy, they've been collapsing, but I don't know if I see them ending the season on like a seven-game losing streak or whatever it be. My, here's the tough one. Marlins losing four, one more at the Mets, and Pittsburgh but they don't have their best pitchers and Luis Rice seems like he's hurt that I think that's the tough one I don't know if I see the Marlins losing out do
2: you no I mean this is like this is probably a less than one percent chance but I mean it is pretty funny that somehow even like last week when we know the Padres had that little run we talked about oh they could do it and then they lost a couple games I was like okay that was cute Padres are done and yet somehow they still have this like tiny 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 narrowed path to the postseason and I mean, I can't get over the – honestly, I can't get over the fact that right now as we record this, the Marlins and Cubs are tied for the third wild card spot with 82 wins. And the Marlins old in tiebreaker because they won the season series against the Cubs. The Marlins, if the season ends today and they control their own – the Marlins control their own destiny with four games left of the season. As you said, Arise is out, hasn't been playing, looks like he's hurt. They don't have Sandy Alcantara who wasn't even that good this season to begin with. It's hard Yuri to understand. Perez is out. <laughs> it's hard to understand. I mean, they have a negative 58 run differential. I mean, as it's been well documented. They're an amazing record in one-run games. Um, in fact, you know the reason they own the tiebreaker against the Cubs is because of they have a 4-3 record against them in games they played in late April and early May. And all of those wins were one-run, one-run wins over the Cubs. But let me ask you a question because I've been thinking about this a lot recently. What would you think if they used run differential as the tiebreaker instead of head-to-head?
1: I like it and I dislike it at the same time. Here's the thing. If it's a two-team tie, right? Let's say it's the Cubs and the Marlins. I mean, I feel like which team beat the other team should matter. It's not like a game that was played in April counts less than a game that was played in July. So I don't know that I like it for that where I think I like it is when you get into these like three team scenarios and four team scenarios and it's just impossible to understand. It would be nice to be able to just look at a scoreboard and know what is happening, whereas right now I feel like you can't. I I barely even know who's still eliminated or not. I think I thought the Pirates were still alive for like two more days after they were because I didn't understand the tiebreakers and I sort of work here and I should know a little bit about this. So it it gets the way it is now, I find incredibly confusing. So in terms of simplicity, I'm with you, but maybe I would say if it's a two team Head to head tie, then then head to head, but after that, it's run differential. Is that splitting it too much?
2: Oh, interesting. I mean, that would certainly take it, make it more easy to understand. Because once we're about to get to the ale tiebreaker situation, which is like kind of a mess. But I mean, it is it is kind of wild. As I said, the the Marlins are minus fifty eight, the Cubs are plus ninety nine in run differential, and the Marlins hold the tiebreaker. Here's a second. Sure, benefit. this would.
1: Right. And I think I'm stealing your idea because I think I heard you say this like over my shoulder yesterday. If if run differential over the season actually mattered more, would that motivate teams to use position players pitching less? Right. Would it be more important to not get smashed by 15 runs and to only get smashed by 10 runs? Like possibly that could be like a cool knock on effect if you get sick of seeing that.
2: And I agree. One more point on that is the best moment of a position player pitching this year was Rowdy Tellez closing out. <laughs> the clinch game for the Marlins, which wouldn't be off the table because that, that wouldn't it wouldn't change your motivation to, to do it when you're of 15, 15 runs in a game where you're actually clinching a playoff spot. So the AL is a mess. Although, I mean, the, the Mariners losing last night probably clarified a little bit because to, to create this crazy three- or four-way four way tie scenario, they need to win out. They need to sweep four games from the Rangers. But there is a scenario in which they sweep the Rangers four games in which the Rangers, the Mariners, the Astros and the Blue Jays all end up with 89 wins. Yes, let's do and, it. In that scenario, in that scenario, as as far out as the Mariners seem right there, there, in that scenario, the way it works is they decide the AL West champion first, right? And because if one team owns the tiebreaker against both other teams, they win, but no one does. They each own a, one tiebreaker against the other, right? So it's like a Spider Man meme when they're all kind of pointing at each other. So. In that case, they do the combined record amongst the games in the three teams. In that case, the Mariners have the best record in games between the Mariners, Astros, and Rangers. So the Mariners would win the AL West in that scenario. And then we go to a three-team tiebreaker between the Blue Jays, the Astros, and the Rangers,
1: you can't, you can't see this. Matt that is scenario because I'm shaking my head and, and that, at
2: the absurdity and of all this. You've, you've convinced me. And,
1: Run differential. This
2: is too complicated. And in that scenario, the Blue Jays are out, and the Astros and Rangers get the final two wild card spots. It's so too much. It's, it's, it is a lot. Um, I sort of take a weird pleasure. I think probably just from years of being working at MLB and having to learn these things every, re- educate myself on these every year. That I kind of like take a weird pleasure in knowing all of these scenarios and teaching themselves, teaching them to myself the last 10 to 15 days of the season. Cause a lot, there's a, there's a lot that can happen. I mean, what, what I mean at this point, where do you see ale the AL situation? I mean, the, the, the Blue Jays aren't scoring any runs. The Mariners had a rough, they lost two or three. Thank George Kirby for shutting down the Astros cause that could have been a lot uglier. They lost two or three to the Astros. Now they host the Rangers for four. Where do you see this playing out?
1: As a reminder, I'll point out to everybody that the last day of the season, every game starts at the same time. So if we actually have like ties and three-way ties and four-way ties at play, it will be playing out simultaneously on Sunday afternoon. Which is like, I mean, that's exactly why they do it, right? How do I see this playing out? I don't trust any of these teams. I don't like any of these teams anymore. As I said last week, I'm sure we've counted them all out at some point. I don't trust a single one. How, How do I see it playing out? I think the Mariners are hooked. Because A, they haven't been playing well, and B, they're now at a huge deficit, right? Now they're a game and a half out behind Houston, so I think I see it playing out like this. Tampa Bay has clinched the first wildcard spot. We all know that's happening. Houston's going to get number two. They are going to get ahead of Toronto, because I don't trust Blue Jays at all right now. Toronto will sneak in as number three, and Seattle will be out. I'm sure that's like the seventh different permutation of this. I've guaranteed at some point over the summer.
2: That's where I am right now. (laughs) One point, and I mean, by the time a lot of you listen to this, this game probably will have already happened, but the Mariners winning tonight against the Rangers is very significant because they do, they've do they played one fewer game than the Astros, and they hold the tiebreaker, the direct tiebreaker on the Astros. They hold it. So if they end up with the same record as the Astros for that third wild card spot, the Mariners do make the playoffs, but they really kind of need to win tonight. Um, otherwise, they're two full games back with three to play, and that's pretty tough to overcome. I'm with you, but I do think I'm with you. I'll flip it. I think the Blue Jays end up in the second wild card spot, and we get the Astros in the third wild card spot. What about in, what about in the uh the National League?
1: I will give you an absolute stone cold lock prediction. The Phillies will win the first wild card spot in the National League. Yeah, I think the Arizona's got a two game advantage, so I'm pretty confident that they will. And There's they got to like play Houston. Astros, I know they got to play Houston. That is spicy. Yeah, I could also see Houston going in there and just sweeping them out of town. Um, as much as I want the Padres to do something ludicrous, it's not it's not gonna happen. Right. I don't trust the Marlins in any way, but I have not seen a single good thing from the Cubs. I know Stroman is starting. I don't know what to expect from him, so that could be kind of interesting. Give me the Reds. I I don't like any of these teams. Give me the Reds. I I have no good feeling about any of this. It's it's, (laughs) just—it's None of these teams are good. They're all 500 teams. (laughs) They're all mediocre in some way. It's like, what flavor of mediocre, what ball bounces the right way over the final weekend of the season? There's no good answer here. Uh, Cincinnati's going to play the Cardinals. The Cardinals have been gone for a while. I think that's going to help them.
2: That's fair. Um, I mean, I think rooting interest wise, I think seeing Joey Votto and LA Cruz in the playoffs yeah. together would be fun. Yeah. Um, so that would be that would be a cool that would be cool. But I mean, at this point, it's hard to considering the Marlins are playing the Pirates to close the season. Right? They play one more game than the Mets and the Pirates, and they control their own destiny. I kind of think it's going to be the Marlins end up in that final wild card spot without
1: El without Yuri Perez, potentially without Luis Arise, One thing I find very funny is. Uh, at least here in New York, there's kind of a drumbeat. If Aaron Boone gets fired, then the Yankees should hire Don Mattingly, right? Who's now a coach, I was a Yankee legend and a coach in, in Toronto. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I, I like him fine as a manager, but man, wouldn't it be funny? Like he was there for all those years in Miami. And then the first year he's gone, everybody gets hurt. And then Skip Schumacher gets them into the playoffs. That How is that enhancing your managerial case, <laughs> right? I mean, that's neither here nor there. I, I will be happy a to watch what's going to happen the next couple of days because it's insanity which I, I think is half the point right it's making the end of the season a lot more interesting than it could have been otherwise and i'll be even happier when i know who's in the playoffs and i have to stop thinking about the american League wild card and saying oh yeah it's definitely not going to be texas because like we're never right about this it's impossible to know it's going to be a fun weekend we'll take a quick break and we'll be back on the ballpark dimensions podcast
2: okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you
1: Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Each week, Matt and I get into our three-batter minimum and talk about three very interesting topics. The first one is going to be about two teams that we know will be in the playoffs, the Dodgers and the Baltimore Orioles. And I wanted to talk about them because their bullpens are going in extremely different directions. And I think when you look at teams going into the postseason, but especially bullpens, you can't really look at full-season stats because half the guys who were there in April got traded or injured or demoted or whatever. I think we talked about this with the Rays a lot last week. The Rays completely rebuilt their bullpen, and they went from pretty lousy to outstandingly good. If you look at the last 30 days for these two teams, let's start with the Orioles, did you know the Orioles' bullpen, generally considered to be the strong point of their team, is dead last in baseball and strikeout rate? Last, 18.6%. And the teams that are ahead of them, Angels, White Sox, Royals, Rockies, are not exactly bullpen superstars. Now, last 30 days is not an arbitrary endpoint because that's a month and that's how humans look at these things. But it is also right after Felix Bautista got hurt. He last pitched on August 25th. And when you look at the other guys in the team, like Janir Cano had a 24% strikeout rate first half, 14% in September. Danny Kalum had 30% through end of August, 14% in September. And I bring this up not to bash the Orioles, who are one of the coolest stories of the year, but just... Now you're going to the postseason, and, you know, they'll have a break, obviously. They won't be in the first round. I'm not sure I trust their bullpen as much as I once did. And that seems to be a big problem.
2: It's very strange. The Orioles have somehow sort of, like, flipped the narrative of their team. Like, the first half of the season, it was Yannir Cano and Felix Bautista was, like, the most dominant back-end duo in baseball. And now, obviously, Bautista's hurt. Cano's just been—not been nearly as effective. He's been fine, but not nearly as effective And then suddenly you look at the rotation and oh, this rotation is pretty good. (laughs) Like Grace Rodriguez has looked like a dude, as we've talked about. And is it Kyle, is it Bradish or Bradish? It is Kyle Bradish. He he was, we're not doing guys this week. He
1: was going to be my guy. And I'm not going to go through his whole guy resume, Uh, other than to say this. There was a stat that ESPN Stats and Info had that I could not believe was true. The other night he threw eight scoreless. His ERA is two eighty six. He'll be the first Oriole starter to finish with an ERA under three since Mike Mussina in nineteen ninety two, which how is that pop? They've had good teams since then. Like that's I don't understand that. um I'd forgotten they got him in the Dylan Bundy trade. Anyway, to your point, Bradish has been very good. Grayson Rodriguez looks very good. John Means is back. I don't know how much you can count on him, but he's looked pretty good. Dean Kramer is like perfectly competent, and then Kyle Gibson is like, a veteran in innings eater guy like. None of these guys are Garrett Cole, I don't think, but you're absolutely right. I, I saw the team, not the team, but like, you know, some members of the team or the manager or whatever, c- complaining to some extent, oh, the projections underrated us. Nobody thought we were going to be this good. And it's like, well, okay, first of all, nobody, yourself included, saw Janier Cano coming in the way that he did. But second of all, the rotation didn't look good. And Radish has been great. John Means is back. Rodriguez got off to a terrible start, got sent back to the minors. Now he's back. This kind of goes back to my earlier point. You look at full season numbers and it's like, okay, but the Orioles rotation in September, extremely different than the Orioles rotation in April or September, whichever one I didn't just say. And it's the same thing with the bullpen.
2: Yeah. And it's, but it's, it, I'm like forcing myself to recalibrate what to expect of them in the playoffs. And I feel like now there's suddenly a team that's like, oh, they really knew they're starting pitching to carry them, which is not really what I expected from them.
1: Oh, and it's funny. You know, who has the best? bullpen strikeout rate like among among Orioles relievers over the last month Uh, Jorge Lopez who was an Oriole last year made the All-Star team got traded to Minnesota in the deal that bought Eugenio Cano back and then failed in Minnesota and failed in Miami and ended up back with with Baltimore where he is now their best strikeout guy isn't baseball a weird sport sometime so I I, you're right you've totally got to like recalibrate what you're looking at the Dodgers are interesting, too, because when you think about the Dodger pitching, what are we talking about? They have no starters, right? Clayton Kershaw's a legend, but he's got a sore shoulder, and everybody thinks he might call it quits at the end of the year, and he's, like, gutting his way through five innings with an 89-mile-an-hour fastball, you know, and Bobby Miller's been good, but he's a rookie, and obviously, like, Bueller's out, and May's out, and Arias isn't coming back, and we, we just talk about their rotation all the time and how weak it seems to be, and yet... Did you know that over the last 30 days, their bullpen has a 164 ERA? I follow the Dodgers pretty closely. I didn't know that. Did you know that in the second half, their bullpen ERA is 218, which is the best any team has had since the 2013 Kansas City Royals as they were starting to build the super bullpen that got them to the World Series the next two years? It is unbelievable to me. And when we think about the Dodger uh, strategy in October— they're not really going to have starters and relievers. they're just they're going to have pitchers kershaw probably gets two and a half times through a lineup i think depending on who's facing i don't trust him against the braves whatsoever but you're not really going to have these dudes going deep you're going to have a whole bunch of guys who are going to face i don't know 12 to 15 batters and when you look at the guys they have in the bullpen yeah it's a ton of rookies right but Ryan Pepio has been great. Did you know Ryan Yarbrough, since they traded for him, has doubled his strikeout rate? Is that not an extremely Dodgers thing to do, to take a guy from KC and double his strikeout rate? And when people see, you know, maybe you know Evan Phillips, maybe you know Bruce Darger all, but there's definitely going to be people who are like, Shel- Shelby Miller's still in the league? And he's pitching okay? Ryan Brazier? Isn't that the guy who flamed out in Boston? I don't know who any of these rookies are. I'm so fascinated to see how they handle this.
2: And I think the what's perhaps most impressive about the Dodgers bullpen in the second half and the last month of the stats you, you cited is like, because of how weak their starting pitching is not weak. It's just like how lacking in depth it is. They're asking for so many innings from their bullpen. So it's not just like, Oh, they've got a good bullpen. Like they're regularly asking their bullpen to give them like four full innings, if not more. So the fact they're able to have that kind of volume with that kind of run prevention is pretty impressive. And I, th- I mean, to your point, in the postseason, like, Kershaw and maybe Miller are the only guys who are going to be, like, traditional starters. I guess it's possible, Lance Lynn, but, I mean, they're already, they've already been using Pepio with, like, uh, with an opener, right? They've been using him as, like, a bulk a bulk guy. So, it's, there's going to be, I don't know if they're going to do openers, they're going to do sort of, like, tandem starts. Like, what do you kind of anticipate will be their M.O.? Let me ask you
1: this. O- outside of Dodger fans, how many people do you think know who Emmett Sheehan is? 5% maybe. He yesterday struck out 10 in Coors Field. I know the Rockies aren't very good, but striking out 10 without a walk in Coors Field is no joke. So I, I think that's what's going to happen, right? You'll, you'll have Kershaw and Miller. They will start the first two games. If they get through five, I think they'll be happy, right? Game three, if there's a game three, well, I, I mean, sorry, I'm thinking they're in the wild card and they're not. So we're, we're talking about the second round right here, but I don't know that you give Lance Lynn a start. I don't think you can trust him. Maybe, maybe if it's like a very righty heavy lineup and you have an opener in front of him, you can say, I can get three innings, but the way he gives up home runs, I don't, I don't trust him at all. So I think in you know, games three and four, it's like a couple innings from Ryan Pepe, yeah, a couple innings from Evan Sheehan, a couple innings from you know Shelby Miller and Ryan Yarber, Like They're going to piece it together. I think I've made this joke before, but if and when they lose, people will go nuts about the way Dave Roberts didn't let his starters go deep. Right. Not paying attention to the situation of the starters and ignoring the fact that like Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts went two for 20 in a series, because that's what always happens. It's always on the manager and never our superstars didn't perform. Why would we ever blame those guys? I, I think the way the Dodgers treat their uh, rotation and bullpen in the postseason is maybe like the number one strategic story I'm the most interested in of any team that's going to be in the postseason right now.
2: It's definitely something that um I will be mindful of mostly because I know it will drive certain uh certain segments of baseball fans crazy to see the way that they're sort of just mixing and matching pitchers many of whom you've never heard of or not you've never heard of, but a lot of people have never heard of
1: I mean I barely even heard of these guys. <laughs> it's like it took me a minute to remember who Emmett Sheen was. Uh, our next topic. So the Twins are going to make the postseason. They're going to host a wildcard series as the number three seed in the AL. And we just kind of talked about how you can't judge full season stats in the postseason so much because things change so much. And man, are the Twins an unbelievable example of that. If you were to think about, let's say, the Twins lineup at the start of the season, you'd say, oh, yeah, Carlos Correa, Byron Buxton. And they got they got Joey Gallo. That's cool. Things have changed so so much uh, in the bullpen, too, but let's start with the lineup for a minute. All of a sudden, they've got three rookies who were not on the opening day roster of Royce Lewis, Matt Walner, and Edouard Julien. Each of those three rookies have an OPS plus over 120, so 20% better than average, and 200 plate appearances. Do you know how long it's been since one team had three rookies to perform like that? Almost 100 years. It's only happened two other times. The 1930 Cardinals and the 1925 Yankees had some guy named Gehrig. Um, yeah, he was okay. That, that is amazing to me, that they've been able to seamlessly integrate these rookies in. And what's happening here, it's not just because of those guys, but if you look at what's happened between their first half and second half, in the first half, they were dead last in performance with bases loaded, dead last, 426 OPS. Second half, the best, OPS over 1,100, which says a little bit about Royce Lewis and a lot about the randomness of bases loaded situations. In the first half against left-handed pitching, they were dead last. 6.54 OPS. In the second half, they are 5th best. 8.13 OPS. Again, randomness, but also just, just different players in the lineup. Gallo has been hurt. Doesn't really play anymore. Correa has been kind of hurt and hasn't played that much. You've got these rookies who are performing out of their minds. You've got like a good comeback season from Max Kepler, who I think has been overshadowed a little bit. And I, I don't want to totally talk myself into a team that hasn't won a playoff game since like 1842, but I, I'm kind of in on this. Like I like the new twins and I haven't even talked about their bullpen yet.
2: It is a, you know, we talked about the, the Orioles sort of rotation changing their identity. I feel like the twins is a team, I guess maybe not in the rotation. That's been the one sort of stabilizing force with Sonny Gray and Pablo Lopez, but like the lineup, as you said, like open, open the season. is like, Hey, Buxton and Correa, they got two stars here. Those guys have combined for less than two war. And like Buxton, I don't even know if he's going to play. I think Correa is going to play, but it's entirely un- in the postseason. I'm referring to. It's entirely unclear how effective he will be if he does play. And then you've got these rookies, and it's like a, I feel like there will be a, a certain segment of of fan, you know sort of casual fans will turn to the postseason and and think back to the last offseason and be like, oh yeah, Correa, that was a big signing for the Twins, and, and kind of be like, wait, what? Like, you know, it's. But the bullpen is what's really interesting about this team Chris Paddock came back this week after having not having pitched in a major league game in like a year and a half out of the bullpen throwing 99 like the fastest he's ever thrown and Brock Stewart is back off the IL it's like okay this is it's a different it's it's just like a different team I think even their opponents are going to come in and face them and be like wait who, who are we facing that's like a new scouting report
1: yeah you know who was in the opening day bullpen for the twins uh Cole Sands and old friend Jorge Lopez who we just talked about so you you mentioned Paddock, he so he Tommy John early last year, and he said that he spent the time wisely. He put on like 20 pounds of muscle. like he feels as strong as he ever has, and obviously you know you tend to get a velocity bump working out of the bullpen. Brock Stewart was great early in the year before he got hurt. He's back. Louis Varland, I want to talk about for just a second. Minnesota native went to school in Minnesota as well, has been a starter for them for the last two years, and he's been fine, converted to the bullpen. In the minors for this playoff push, he's also throwing like 99 with a ridiculous cutter, and he's striking everybody out. And they still have Joan Duran who throws 175 miles an hour. And then you look at their rotation, and it's like, well, you're probably going to put Kent Maeda in the bullpen, I think, where he's been very good in the past. Caleb Thielbar is still a pretty good lefty, and I'm looking at this bullpen, and I'm thinking to myself, I like this, like I like it a lot. And then I'm thinking if they end up facing Houston. Jordan Alvarez is still gonna crush baseballs all over Minnesota. Like, that's just absolutely the way this is gonna go. But you just think about the way this team was constructed early in the year. And I picked them to the win of the division. Like, I'm happy about this. I saw this team and I said, yes, they're gonna be good, but this is not the reason why <laughs> this is not how I thought it was gonna happen. And I, I find it just so fascinating to think that this is such a different roster. And I think the bullpen's gonna shove. Like I I hope not only that they get a win, just like a win, so we can stop talking about this forever, that they get past the first round, right? That they can go at least a little deeper. I think that would be fun. I want this team to go there.
2: Hey, now, hey, now. Well, Twins famously have not, or infamously, I should say, have not won a, they've lost 18 straight playoff games going back to what, 2000? October 5th, 2004, in a game
1: I believe started by Johan Santana. That's how long ago we're talking about.
2: (laughs) I think it was game one against the Yankees at Yankee Stadium, and then they lost three straight, and that was it. The Twins... I've also had a notoriously great home crowd during the postseason. Going back to the Metrodome, the Homer Yankees were amazing. I actually went to the first ever playoff game at Target Field in 2010, which they lost to the Yankees. It was electric. And I'm hoping to see some of that again next week. You know, they will play the host of Wildcard Series, they will get three home games two i should say at least two home games mike signals to me fair point um i also hope that the baseball world gets to see johan duran come in and come into the game because he has an epic closer entrance that like doesn't maybe doesn't get the get the attention that like uh, edwin diaz did last year but it's pretty phenomenal so i think there's a lot of vibes around the twins and target field in october that we should be looking forward to
1: And i just briefly get way ahead of myself like 15 steps ahead of myself here sure when you think about the wild card series next week right? All four series are best of three, and they're all played Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, which means there's a lot of baseball every day. And every year, some team gets super annoyed about, oh, we had to play at noon on a Tuesday or whatever, right? The the way the matchups are setting up, it seems very clear that the like Phillies would host the primetime game, I think. And then everything else is kind of like teams that are maybe not huge markets or Midwestern teams. And anyway, if it's Houston and the Twins, which it is as of today, I think that might get a really good primetime slot. Like, I, I think that is a series a lot of people end up watching. And I think that's great. I want more people watching the Twins because I think they're fun. I like the Twins a lot. I know that's going to annoy, I don't know, the Miami-Milwaukee uh, series or whatever it's going to be. But there's only so much time in the day to watch baseball. Our next topic is, let's talk about those Astros for a second. If they make the playoffs, they are guaranteed to be on the road in a wild card series, location TBD. Did you know that the Astros have the world's wildest home road splits this year at home they're three games under 500 on the road they are 17 games over 500 and they finished the series in arizona and if you know they could get 20 games over 500 look at the runs scored and allowed uh at at home they score four and a half a game on the road they score 5.8 a game uh it's the same thing at home they've allowed 4.7 and on the road they've only allowed four it's it's wild two weeks ago they actually fixed up the batter's eye at Minute Maid because the hitters were complaining they couldn't see everything. I don't know if you know, there's there's some amount of history with the Astros and Minute Maid Park, and people are like, huh, they're always better there, right? I don't know, but it's certainly not happening this year. And I don't know how much of this I buy as like a thing or a thing that matters in the postseason. But it's pretty stark, and some team, possibly the Twins, is going to have to have them coming to their house and start the playoffs, and I don't don't know how I feel about that. I don't really trust this team because they've not played super well in the last couple weeks, but I also don't want to throw a pitch to Jordan Alvarez at any point ever. How much do you buy this?
2: That's a really good question. I mean, it doesn't. I mean, I'd also be curious if the Astros themselves right now are like, you know, I think we'd rather just play on the road. Um, If like this is now, if this now in their, if this is now in their heads, or or what. But it's they they probably will not win the division because they're two games behind the behind the Rangers, and they only have three games to play. The, The Rangers have four, but they do own the tiebreaker if they win the division. They will have the lowest home winning percentage by any division winner ever in a full season. The previous low was the 2001 Braves, who had a 494 winning percentage at home. And what what are they right now? They're they're at 481. They're at 41, I guess, with three to play. So I guess they could they could potentially no they no they played play the home, game, home season's done. Yeah, it's they're totally done. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but they've they got Later to win done. the division so they, for that to happen. Yeah, they've got to win the division, which is unlikely, although they're playing on the road, so who knows? Road field but advantage. the 2001 Braves had a, had a 494 winning percentage at home. That's the lowest ever for a t- division winner in a full season. So this is historic, for lack of a better word, what they're doing. It would be unprecedented if they ma- did manage to win their division.
1: Have you been tracking how annoyed Astros fans seem to be with Dusty Baker right now because of uh, his refusal to play he Diaz every day, being he lets Martin Maldonado play every day, and that Mauricio Dubon gets a lot more time in center field than Chas McCormick does? Everybody, everybody's really upset about this. I buy it a little bit. McCormick pretty much does play every day, it's just sometimes it's in left, so like that's fine. Maldonado, I know you cannot quantify the things a catcher does, for sure, but Everything you can quantify has pointed the wrong direction. And Yainer Diaz could probably be like a top three rookie of the year. By the way, quick related point. Another guy that Cleveland had <laughs> and traded away. We've talked a lot about those bads Nolan Jones and Will. One of these years, I will remember the difference between Will Brennan and Will Benson. This will not be the year. But, but one of them, the good one, and a couple other guys too. I, I think that's funny. Anyway, do you think Diaz gets a start in the postseason? That's going to be a question. How, how much will they go with Maldonado?
2: That is a great question. I think Maldonado will start every game until they are like, if they like fall behind 2-0 and they haven't been scoring, two, like two two games to zero or something in a series and they haven't been scoring runs, you might see Diaz get a start, but I feel like Maldonado will get, I've been given no reason to believe that Baker's going to deviate from that in the postseason. I think he's going to put that level of premium on catcher defense and Maldonado, Maldonado's like, Reputation and track record, and when the intangibles that you know he believes that that Maldonado brings. I mean, we do say this a a day after both Maldonado and Mauricio Dubon homered in an important win for the Astros. But the point the point remains: Diaz is clearly the superior hitter and one of the better hitting catchers in baseball at this point, and makes their lineup a lot deeper. It's one of those questions. Here's the thing: it's like one of those questions. If you're the opponent, you're like put yourself in the shoes of the opponent. Like if you're the Twins and they play them in the first round. If you're Rocco Adelli, you're relieved if you see that lineup card and you see Maldonado on it instead of Diaz. And if you, if your opposing manager is going to feel that way, then I think you're maybe making the wrong decision.
1: I'm going to make one more ill-fated prediction that will definitely come true. We're going to talk up the Twins, as we just did. The Astros are going to go to Minnesota, and the Astros, the road Astros, will sweep the Twins. And then the Twins will get nothing out of it. Sorry to say, that's what's happening. That's how I feel. Um, I could also see... Can I make a a, a wild, wild uh, World Series prediction if that doesn't happen? Phillies and Twins? Sure. Phillies and Twins. I'm just saying. You heard it here first. Are they the best teams? No. Are they the teams I feel like have the smell? Maybe a little bit. We're not going to get into the Braves <laughs> right now. I don't trust their pitching staff in any way. No matter how great their lineup is, their pitching staff scares the absolute hell out of me. That's a different topic. We'll get into that next week because the, Twins will still, the Braves will still be here after the wild card and we can do our division round preview uh, on our next show. We'll take a break and we'll be back with one more segment of the MLB.com Ballpark mentions podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast, Mike Petriello and Matt Myers. As we move into our final segment, usually we introduce you to two under the radar guys. We're going to do something a little different as we go into the final weekend of the regular season. There are four living legends who we either know will be retiring after the season, or it seems like there's a, a pretty decent shot, right? We know Miguel Cabrera is finished. We know Adam Wainwright is finished. Zach Granke and Joey Votto, we're not quite sure about. I think there's some question about what their status will be, but there's a half-decent chance this is it for those four guys. 76 combined seasons, 27 All-Star appearances, three MVPs, two rings, and a whole ton of memories. I mean, just between Votto and Granky, I think you could spend like 12 hours telling stories that you've heard based on all the write-ups about them. Miguel Cabrera is the best player of all four, clearly. First Ballot Hall of Famer, no doubt. And uh, Adam Wainwright, I think... has. <laughs> I don't want to bring this up to maybe somebody, a friend of mine who grew up a Mets fan, but you may remember Adam Wainwright pitched out of the bullpen in 2006 and then uh, never stopped pitching for the Cardinals. So it's cool to celebrate their careers. And it makes me personally feel aged as Adam Wainwright is like two weeks older than me. And I don't like that one of the remaining players older than me is about to call it a day. Like that, that feels not okay. Rich Hill needs to come back next year is what I'm saying. here. What are you watching for with these guys this weekend?
2: I think there's going to, I mean, whether or not it is Vado's last game i kind of get the feeling he might come back um you know he has a he has a a club option with the reds which will probably not be picked up because it's like 20 million dollars but there's nothing to say he the reds can't decline the option and bring him back on a modest one-year deal which i think is within the realm of possibilities he has not said oh i want to be done but you just never know how it's going to play out i think there's going to be some cool moments right like i'm sure that the tigers are going to go all out for miggy the reds are on the road but they're playing in cincinnati in st louis so they'll be like him and Wayne will be there. I'm sure there'll be some nice, like, there'll be some nice poignant connections there. Be those guys have faced each other a lot over the years. They've been in the same division for like literally 15 years. And then Granky, same deal. I think he's scheduled to take the ball on Sunday. It just doesn't feel like he has anything left. But these players have, to, I mean, like, they've defined, I want to say our baseball fandom, because obviously we go back to as kids. But I think in my sort of like adult career in, Baseball media, these these are for the players that define this period, right? They're, like, they're, they're some of the biggest names, like, associated with one team. That's one thing. Like, Wainwright and Vado specifically have only played on one team in the major leagues. Miguel Cabrera's spent almost his entire career with the Tigers. And even Granke, he's bounced around, but, like, he does have this strong connection to Kansas City and the Royals. So the fact that they're all, like, with those teams right now, there's something really special about that. And... You know, you and I are going to vote for the Hall of Fame in a few years. I think that for me, three of these guys are slam dunk vote yeses. And honestly, well, I don't think now that I would vote for Adam Wainwright for the Hall of Fame, if you think of, hey, if you if you come to the mindset of I think the top five percent of pitchers or top five percent of pitchers or whatever number of any generation should be in the Hall of Fame, like, He's got a case like his his counting stats won't compare to like Christy Mathewson or Jim Palmer or, you know, Gaylord Perry. But in terms of like his peers, he's one of the best pitchers of his generation.
1: Yeah, he is. I think the issue is that his counting stats, it's not that they won't compare to, you know, Bob Gibson or Walter Johnson. It's that they don't compare to Justin Verlander and Scherzer and, and Kershaw. Uh, no, no Cy Young wins, I think. Um, obviously, a, a great career, but I, I think he's going to fall just short. Miguel Cabrera, slam dunk. Like There's no thinking about it whatsoever. Ranky and Vado, I think people will have to think about a little bit. I'm confident they'll both get in. I think Vado's going to be a real interesting new school, old school case in some sense because he's not going to have like, you know, 3,000 hits or 500 home runs or anything like that. But the on base, the walks, all of it will help him. I think I want to go back to what you said briefly about like how much of an interesting part of baseball history that these guys have spanned. This may depend a little bit on how old you are, but for me, Miguel Cabrera came up it was in that World Series like right after I graduated college you know and now I'm a 42 year old dad so that is a huge chunk of my life that Miguel Cabrera has been playing baseball in and just if you think about the the way that the sport has changed from when these guys came up in like 03 04 05 that was like 03 i think that was the year that moneyball the book came out nobody there's no movie yet there wasn't even any pitch effects for like the first 5 or 6 years of at least the pitcher's careers, you couldn't find their fastball velocity. Isn't that wild to not even know how hard did Adam Wainwright throw in 2007? Who knows? I Nobody can tell you. And now you can tell like every single micro inch that their fastball is moving. That is a really interesting time I think do have played. And I bet you the stories those guys have from 20 years ago as compared to now are really interesting. And I I think um I'm with you that it's cool that Vado and Wainwright will be in the same place. At the same time, uh, we know Wainwright won't pitch. There's some talk that he might hit, but I think it's not going to happen if the Reds are still playing for something. So maybe we won't see that. But I'm glad you brought this up because we're like so laser focused on the playoffs right now and the wildcard teams and will the Astros do this and whatever that even though not all of these guys, most of them, really three of them are not playing for anything right now. It's a good reminder. I should flip on the Royals game for like a minute this weekend just to see Zachary. That's cool. It's good. Thank you for that
2: my pleasure mike um, and you mentioned you mentioned the changes in the game and we've talked about this on the podcast before you know one of my career highlights is the day that Zach Rankin showed up at our office and he wanted to talk about Zakatcast and he just like we sat in an office with him and Tom Tango and like Zach Rankin asked us questions for like three about hours Sadcast.
1: I didn't even just like, just, show like up random, and walk out he just three hours
2: it was awesome i like a random friday afternoon in the january of i think it was january 2018 he just showed up at our office and basically was like at the front desk i was like hey who could i talk basically i'm zach cranky who could i talk to about sadcast
1: well to give him some work i don't think it was like that i think his agent like called ahead and was like hey he's coming know, he's I'm
2: but yeah
1: no that was cool um i i'm yeah i'm glad you brought this up and now it's kind of got me thinking like who in five years are it's the next version of these guys you know like i guess at some point it'd be like gary cole uh, but it, it's cool this is definitely closing the chapter Well, i, I shouldn't say five years we know the next guy's Verlander, kershaw right is scherzer maybe it's Furlander in a week i don't know that'll do it for this week's podcast don't miss an episode by subscribing on apple Podcasts, spotify or get your podcasts if you're enjoying the show or have any rate, suggestions leave us a rating and a review thanks for listening to the ballpark dimensions podcast see you next week